Podcasting straight from North Carolina is Dr. Jennifer Eichner-Lowry sharing her author journey with you. Jen Lowry writes is a place where amazing things happen for authors and readers together. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate podcast host. Jen is just the bird singing the song. She is a published author, educator, homeschool mama, life coach, and dreamer. Join her on the daily journey of discovering what this writing life is all about. Let's see what she will be led by the Holy Spirit to talk about today. Here's Jen. Thanks for supporting my Jen Lowry Writes podcast. My purpose is to inspire and encourage others to chase after their writing goals with faith and courage. By hitting the support this podcast button and with your monthly contribution of 99 cents, $4.99 or $9.99, you are helping me chase after mine. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Jen Lowry Writes. Today, I am so honored to be able to bring to you a special guest. Look, look at the beauty of this book, Changing Children's Lives with Hypnosis, A Journey to the Center. Dr. Rand Ann Barr is with us today. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. So first, I got to tell your bio so everybody can kind of know a little bit about you. He's a board certified pediatric pulmonologist and a general pediatrics also serving uh, hypnosis and counseling services at Centerpoint Medicine in La Jolla, California and Syracuse, New York. Dr. Ann Barr is also part also a past president, fellow and approved consultant of the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis. In addition to all of your teaching and lecturing experiences, he's been the principal investigator in 10 published case studies of pediatric hypnosis. He's been involved in research trials of children with cystic fibrosis and other pulmonary disorders. He's a published author of more than 50 articles, abstracts, and book chapters on pediatric functional disorders and pediatric hypnosis. We'll focus in on your book today, but I also would like to talk with you a little bit more about some fiction work you might have going on here because um, he lives in La Jolla, California right now with his wife, Hannah, one of his four children, a parrot, a rabbit, and a fish. And in his spare time, he loves to volunteer at his synagogue, read, write that fiction, play volleyball, and spend time at the beach. So Dr. Anvar, just wow, first, wow. Tell us a little bit more about you. Well, um, so I, I started working as a pediatric pulmonologist for many years, and I fell into the world of hypnosis with a particular patient. His name was Paul, and he, that's, that, is, that represents Paul, actually. Uh, oh, really? It does, and there's uh, a funny story about that I will tell in a moment. So um, Paul was very allergic, allergic to milk products. Twice in his life, he almost died from eating a milk product. And he came in one day and he said, lately, my asthma has been flared up whenever I smelled a cheeseburger. I thought that was rather strange. And I said, well, could you please imagine eating a cheeseburger? And within seconds, he was having an asthma attack in front of me. And I thought, oh, no, he's going to stop breathing. So I said, stop it. And he did. And I thought to myself, hmm, you can imagine yourself into an illness is it possible you can imagine yourself out of an illness? And that was my introduction to what later turned out to be hypnosis. 
and that I became curious about it. I uh, uh, found out about it and I taught it to Paul. And then after a while, I started using it with other patients. The funny story about the cover is that uh, Paul's, when you, when you do hypnosis, first of all, it's not what people think it is. It's not a watch. It's not, I'm going to make you sleepy. It's not, I'm going to control your mind and make you do evil things, which is what Hollywood makes us think. All hypnosis is self-hypnosis. When you do hypnosis, the only mind you're controlling is yourself, your own mind, and you can do what you want with it. So nobody can hypnotize you against your will. In medical hypnosis, I help children deal with their medical problems. And a simple way of doing hypnosis, which people can do at home, is just to imagine being in a calm, comfortable place. Imagine what you can see and hear and smell and feel and taste. And by using all your senses like that, the experience can seem more real and you can become more relaxed. And that's a very basic hypnosis I teach most kids. So when I taught that to Paul, his relaxation place was an, an a boat in a lake which is what the book cover is about. Now, the funny story is that, and, and Paul is the star of my book. If you, when you read it, you'll see. Uh, the, the funny story is that um, I got a chance to help pick the book cover. The book is published traditionally with a publisher, and usually publishers don't let you do anything. They, they do it for themselves. But this particular publisher gave me the privilege of looking for the cover art. Wow. So I looked through hundreds of pictures of boys on lake, and I picked this one, which was black and white, but it spoke to me. And um, a few months later, so that's the book cover. A few months later, I'm seeing another patient and I'm saying, where would you like to relax? He says, a boat on a lake. I said, oh, that reminds me of my book cover. So whenever I first teach hypnosis, I give the child a handout with a picture of where they imagine going to. I look through Bing or Google.com. I find an image and I paste it on a piece of paper, give it to them. So I looked for a picture of a boy on a lake. Up pops up my book cover, but it wasn't the black and white version. It was the color version that I didn't even know existed. I looked at it. I said, well, I like the black and white version better. And then on this side, it said uh, similar pictures. And I looked at it. There was a couple more pictures of the same kid on the same day and other pictures from the same location. And it said the location. The location was Oneida Lake on Sylvan Beach in central New York. This lake was 18 miles from where Paul lived. This is probably his relaxation place that I picked out by chance. Or maybe uh, not. Maybe not. I call that a God thing. I will just right. have to say that. Yes. Yep. A lot of things happen like that. When you do hypnosis, that kind of thing is not unusual. Amazing things happen. You know, you do break down some misconceptions about hypnosis in the book, because I will say that this is such an approachable and accessible book for families to read. And I know that really that was the heart of your audience. Correct. And, then, and there are many books for professionals doing hypnosis. There are many books telling you how to do hypnosis. I didn't want to write one of those books. I wanted to write a book that it shows people how hypnosis can really work, gives you an idea of the potential. The problem with hypnosis has been around in its modern form 70 years, 70 years, eight, almost 80 years now. And as early as 1950, the American Medical Association and the British Medical Society both said hypnosis is a valid tool for pain control. And yet when I was in medical school in 1980s, nobody taught us about hypnosis. It's such an underutilized um, technique and doctors don't know about it. And there's nobody pushing it. You don't make a lot of money doing hypnosis. There's no drug company saying buy this drug. 
So as a result, hypnosis, the physicians don't even know about. My hope with this book is that the public will say, hey, why isn't my child receiving this therapy? I'm going to go to the doctor and say, hey, can you please teach my child? The doctor likely will say, I don't know anything about it. And then Let's you'll say- do some research. <laughs> do some research, or I'm going to do research, say the parent, and find somebody who can help my child in addition to the medical therapy. It's important to say hypnosis is not a substitute, but it's in addition to. I'll also tell you this. Every person, not just children, every person with chronic symptoms can benefit from hypnosis. Let me explain why. And this is half of America has chronic symptoms. Let me explain why. When you have a chronic symptom, something that's all ongoing, it affects your psychology. You might be anxious about it. You might be depressed about it. You might be sad. Those emotions then translate into worsening symptoms. When you learn to regulate your emotions with hypnosis, your symptoms can improve. And then there's a whole class of kids and adults whose psychological problems cause them to develop symptoms. A simple example is somebody who's being bullied at school and develops a stomachache, or you've had a hard day at work and you develop a headache. If the symptoms are ongoing, if you teach the child hypnosis, the symptoms are stopped, they resolve. And that kind of child, hypnosis is better than medications because medicines don't treat the bullying. Medicines don't treat the hard boss but learning how to regulate your emotions does. I love the analogy that you use in the book about if you break your arm, what right. is the so, purpose of the cast? Uh, yeah, that's right. So I thank you for bringing it up. So the, the children learn to heal themselves. And what I explain to them, I give them this metaphor. I tell them when you break a bone and you have a cast put on, what heals the bone? And then they think about it. It says, well, the body heals it. So what's the role of the cast? The role of the cast is to stabilize the arm or the, the appendage until the bone heals. And I said, that's what I'm doing. I stabilize you as your doctor or as therapist, and it's your job, it's your job to heal. I love it. Because you also talk about it's a coping strategy. It's a coping strategy, coping mechanism there too. Correct. So a lot of uh, psychological and medical problems occur because we don't cope well. For example, in the time of COVID, a lot of people are not coping too well. They're stressed out by maybe they're going to get sick. Maybe they're going to infect somebody else. Maybe they're going to die. Maybe it'll never be over. A lot of stressful thoughts. And that doesn't help you cope very well when you think about all these things. And what I teach children to do, including with hypnosis, is to redirect their thinking. Rather than focusing on things that cause them to become anxious and depressed, they need to focus on things that help them feel happy. Now, what in COVID, by the way, any bad event has something that you can be happy about if you think about it the right way. What can you be happy about in COVID? There are actually many things. For example, if you're stuck at home, you have time to develop a new hobby that you might never have developed without COVID. If you look at the environment and realize that it cleaned up as a result of us being quarantined, it gives you a better appreciation of how mankind influences the environment and maybe gives you ideas how we can help repair it. In my personal business, I was able to get government funding to help support it because of the COVID-related issues, and that helped me uh, stabilize and strengthen my business. So there are good things in any bad event, even death, which you can go to if you want to. And then if you learn to focus on the good things, then you're coping better, you're less stressed, you're less apt to develop psychological or mental or uh, physical symptoms. I really like how you structured the book, whereas at the end of each chapter, it's now what can you do? Like, what can you do on your own? Right. 
like, you know, you have clearly stated that this is something that can be done by a practitioner who is well-trained. Of course, you would want that. And you would want that along with the other treatment options that they may have to make them have a fulfilling life. But then there are simple things that families can do, that a parent can do to help guide their child. And I really like how you talk about listen, affirm, acknowledge. That was one of my favorite parts because as a part of a cognitive coach too, when I'm working with individuals, it's, that's one of the steps one is to listen. Right. So it's and all it's, the noise, listen. Right. I've learned teenagers are so wise and so knowledgeable as long as you let them express themselves. And so often parents don't do that. They think the child has no idea. They're going to tell the child what to do. And then they get into strife, the teenager. If you listen they will tell you. Sometimes a child doesn't even know they have it within them. And the, this starts at the very moment they come to see me. So the child will come with the parents typically, and the parent typically will start telling the history. and say, no, 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 I don't want to hear your version. I want to hear the child's version. And there's three reasons for that. One is the child needs to decide if they want to work with me, because since all hypnosis is self-hypnosis, if they don't want to do it, nothing's going to happen. It doesn't matter what you parent think. Number two, if your child omits things in this, from the story, um, that's notable to me. Maybe it's too hard. Maybe it's not important to them, or maybe it's too hard to talk about. That's notable for me to hear the child's version. And number three, when you, the parent, tell the history, you're sort of saying, well, you, child, you can't do it the right way. And that's a bad message. You, the child needs to be empowered, not only to tell their story, but then to heal themselves. Love it. Positive affirmations. I mean, what you're giving in here, too, other than just what could you do on your own for, you know, self-hypnosis, great parenting practices. Right. Probably one of the more powerful tools is using positive language. Yes. The words we use has an impact on ourselves and our others. So if a child does poorly in a test and the parent says that was really stupid or you must be really lazy, that sinks in. And that's what you get. A child who thinks he or she is stupid and lazy. If on the other hand, the parent says, you can do better, I believe in you, how might you improve and engages in a constructive conversation, that child will feel better about themselves and more likely to, will improve. So using positive talk, a lot is so important. A lot of uh, people who are anxious and depressed use negative talk all the time. That's how they get themselves anxious and depressed. Um, this is the worst thing that ever happened to me. I'll never get better. I'm stupid. Um, I can't improve. Nobody likes me. Those are all global statements that make them feel worse and worse and worse. If in case, instead they learn to say, I wish I was better. I wish people liked me more. I wish I could figure out how to make myself calmer. By so saying, they start, the brain starts thinking, how am I going to get there? You know, 100 years ago, I tell this story, 100 years ago, Henry Ford, the auto manufacturer, he said, whether you think you can or think you can't, you are right. Whether you think you can or think you can't, you are right. So give yourself a chance. Think that you can. And then you may be right. And if not, you'll keep thinking that way and continuing to move forward in the way that you can. And this is how we create our reality. We, yeah. This is how we manifest things, by being positive, by thinking about this is possible. Because if you think something's impossible, you won't even attempt to get there. 
that also reminded me about what you talked about being on the plane and hearing the emergency and you know it's an impossible situation if if you don't know or have the tools or you know you feel like you're in a crisis mode when you see someone around you like your child or a, a family member or a friend or a student you know a lot of this applies to teachers as well when i when i would when i was reading through the book it would be like man this applies right directly to the classroom too just a lot of these principles but you know what can you do in the crisis well, what can you bring to that? You asked me about a fiction story I wrote. So this is a fiction story I wrote addressing that question. Oh, let's I wrote go. this probably 30 years ago in, in medical school. I wrote the story. And the story was it was a post-apocalyptic world, you know, nuclear holocaust, everything was destroyed. And I and the protagonist was a, a doctor. So and there was a child with uh, pneumonia with a lung infection. And the doctors said, um, I don't, I can't treat this child. I don't have antibiotics anymore. Um, and the child died. And the doctor felt really badly. And the, the moral of that story when I was writing in medical school is I already realized at that time that uh, the modern tools we have, if we didn't have them, what could we do? Once I learned about hypnosis, I found an answer. So actually I should write an addendum to that story because what you can do is provide reassurance and love and comfort, and those are healing. And the story you referred to in the, in the book, which was a real life story, I was in a plane and somebody said overhead, there's a doctor on the plane and they always sort of think, do I wanna admit I'm a doctor because you don't know what's gonna happen. But I, I said, yes. And actually I was writing a, philosophical essay at the time so it seemed appropriate <laughs> i'm a writer um and it, the patient was a 55 year old 60 year old gentleman who, who was having chest pains maybe having a heart attack i don't know and uh, and that's i'm a pediatrician and so they actually on the plane they give you um <clears throat> they have a little kit they have ivs on the plane um but i don't know what to do so they actually had me talk to ground, the emergency medical technician on the ground. He said, well, start an IV. I said, okay. So I fiddled around and put an IV in after a while and then you know, run some saline. Okay, I did that. And then that was all I could do. And, and, I, and I realized I was sitting there. I, I held his, I put my hand on his arm and I said, you'll be okay, sir. You know, we're gonna land soon. And he calmed down, his breathing normalized and he, he felt, he seemed to feel better. And I realized that my presence and treatment, which was not with medications, but with love and attention and care, that was healing. And so that was an answer to my uh, story that I wrote as a medical student. Mind you, didn't it teach us in the medical school how important it is to be human as a doctor? Ah, yes, but you have that because even in one of, one of the parts about what can you do, it's be kind. Right, and we can all be kind and be kinder. Kind. And be kind not only to your to other people, be kind to yourself. I meet so many kids who are not kind to themselves, who beat themselves up and just makes them makes themselves feel worthless. And then you wonder why they're depressed. And when you teach them, many of these kids are really kind to other people. When you teach them, you know, it's the reverse of the golden rule. The golden rule is treat others as you would like you yourself would like to be treated. But I often tell the kids, treat yourself as you treat others. And that can be healing thought. Oh, yes. So 
I know I shouldn't do this. It's a spoiler alert. You can stop me. But I will say that books have their endings. Books have their, their closures. Your last line of your book is like a famous last line. Quote it to me. <laughs> I love this line, everybody. Your child will feel empowered to know that your strong, active presence is a steady, positive force and that they don't have to go it alone. And to me, that last line sums up the entire heart of your message. And you give a way for parents to have another tool so that they don't feel so chaotic and maybe alone to help empower their child. So I just want to let you know, as far as last lines go, you nailed that last line. You got it. I really much appreciate it. Spoiler alert, there's an epilogue and another note. <laughs> yes. I wasn't sure, what, and I have interesting <laughs> last lines on those as well. So I wasn't sure to which one you were referring. <laughs> so see, he's kind of giving you some little hypnosis right now. Go check the book out. Go buy the books. So you can see all these other last lines and all these other good stories. And when you get the book, spread the word. The mission yes. of the book is not to sell the book. The mission of the book is to be part of my... My wish is that everybody know about hypnosis so that people who can benefit can seek help from it. And the way that I'm working on doing that is threefold. I have a practice where I see lots and lots of patients. I have this book where I hope will reach into a lot of people's hands and that they'll pass along to others. And I'm working on franchising my practice. I'm working on teaching other doctors to do what I'm doing so that all over the country, people can have access to this kind of therapy. So I loved it when you acknowledged your wife, Hannah, at the very beginning and said that, <laughs> guys, I love it so much because uh, Hannah expressed concern about whether I might end up as a guru on top of a mountain. And she realized, no, that's not what you were about, but that's not what. Another one of my friends, when I first started doing this, said to me, don't tell them it's hypnosis. They'll call you a voodoo doctor. Mm. And I always felt you need to call it what it is and then educate the public, which is part of what the book's about. Right. So talking about, you know, Hannah's journey with you, has she read your other works too, your fiction work that you have around that we've got to transition in and talk about? Well, I haven't written a lot of recent fiction because I've been focusing on this book and I'm working on two other books at the same time. Oh, come on. Tell me. I like Books about hypnosis, since yes. that is your like this passion. This is my passion. This is yeah. my passion. So the next book is going to, the working title is Partnering with Your Subconscious. And that will be more of a how-to book. Okay. Because while there's lots of books about how to do hypnosis, there's very few books. Well, there's books about the power of the subconscious, but very few books talk about how to access it. And that's one of the things that I help develop in this world is how to access the subconscious. Not only can you access it through having it move like your fingers for yes or no, you can access it through talking to an inner advisor. Um, you can access it by talking to it verbally. You can, it can type for you. It can do artwork. There's all sorts of ways. And this book, Partnering with the Subconscious, will describe how to do that. And again, you mentioned fiction, and I told you I wasn't writing fiction, but actually whenever I do hypnosis and I suggest 
new metaphors and new ideas. That's really fiction. It's fiction. It's fiction. But it's fiction that has a real effect on people. Right. It's very, very interesting. With process. detailed imagery. Correct. Yes. So with young kids, with young kids, part of the therapy is writing a story. There was a girl, three-year-old girl. How you know I do hypnosis with three-year-olds, but it's very different than with a teenager. I bet. <laughs> the three-year-old girl um, was having potty problems. She wouldn't go potty, wouldn't poop. And um, I met her once and I said, let's write a story together. And who should we write the story about? She said, Daniel Tiger. Daniel Tiger Aww. is from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Yes. So we wrote the story and Daniel Tiger had a poop problem. He couldn't poop either. And so he sat on the potty and he held some Play-Doh and he would mash it whenever he sat on the potty to show the poop how to work. Because the girl had told me she does not have poop. That was her problem. Mm -hmm. And then the girl's favorite story was um, Go Dog Go. Children's oh, yes, book. yes. And so I said to her, so sit in the potty, make, squeeze the Play-Doh to show you poop how to go, how to work, and then say, go poop, go. And which created a big laugh. We wrote this story and I illustrated, I get, I get took pictures from the web and pasted it. Oh, and that's interesting. Was, and this is by video actually. So I emailed it to her. And then she read the story with her mom every night. After two weeks, she was fine. No more poop problems, she learned. And so that was a fictional story. And I will tell you that Daniel Tiger and Mr. Rogers would have approved of this message. <laughs> I'm I sure feel, they would have. <laughs> I so feel that. I'm not speaking for Mr. Rogers, uh, Lord rest his soul, but I will say that I do believe that he would have approved of the way that you handled that situation. Well, it honors the child. Mr. Rogers was yes. so good at honoring yes. the child. And I, I learned, I actually learned, I saw the Fred Rogers movie a few years <gasps> back and, and I learned from that. He was such a gentleman. Speak of kindness, speak of how to treat a human. Right. And I think that your work shines through because the heart of the work is there. And you talk about Harry at the very beginning. So yes, you are a storyteller. And you can pull people into this nonfiction world that you're living in that I don't have access to until now. But you can pull us in and you can talk about Harry and Paul and and. You know, you can bring us there. So you do have that natural gift of storytelling. Thank you. And when did you realize that you had that? Because you said that you were writing when you were in medical school. Try, And I bet that was your way possibly of coping with yes. how am I going to deal with a first death? Yes. How am I, I going to deal? I found writing as a way of, uh, of coping with stress. I, I, in fact, I wrote a story. Um, when I first encountered death in medical school, it's actually three people died within the same year. Uh, one was a, a gentleman, a 60-year-old gentleman who uh, had cancer, who I would visit every week, and then he died. And one was a, uh, a classmate of mine who died of uh, liver cancer. He'd had a kidney transplant and developed liver cancer in medical school. And one was Harry, the kid I talk about in my book. So all three died within a year, and it was it was hard. And again, in medical school, they don't teach you how to deal with it. Um, so I just wrote a story about going to uh, the 60-year-old's funeral and how I thought about all these people who had died. And at the time, I concluded that, um, you know, when you, you die, you're at peace at last. And, and that's a good thing. And that's just part of life. But I would add to it. So I've learned a lot more. I mentioned death earlier. So um, when I ask my patients subconscious, 
have they existed before? Most of them say yes. When I ask, will you exist after the patient dies, almost invariably they say yes. Uh, sometimes they'll talk about past lives. I don't do past life therapy, but they'll spontaneously tell your stories. And I do believe that there is something out there beyond what we see in our world. And I, I believe to such an extent that when my own father passed seven years ago, and I was speaking in his funeral, I, he was 87, lived a good long life. Um, I told people that, um, uh, well, I, I'm sad he's gone, but I know he's still around um, because that's what I've learned from my patients. And, and I said, if he, if he could speak now, he would dispute that because, and then I got a laugh. Um, but he is around and, and I, have, I have a patient, one patient here who is American, who's a Christian, um, who sees Hebrew that he does not understand. And I understand Hebrew, I'm a native Hebrew speaker. And I pull out a Google letter chart, he can point to Hebrew letters and I can tell what he's seeing. And he, one point, one time he saw my dad and wrote my family name in Hebrew, which he didn't know. Uh -huh. So it's like, okay, I don't think this comes from this boy. This, this, there's something else going on in this world. And that gives tremendous comfort to me and to my patients to tell them these stories and it brings them comfort. So when you said earlier that you have had some experiences throughout your career that have just been that overwhelming hug of the universe and the, and the beyond. It's real. I'm, it's real. It's, it's real. I, I'm not saying what exactly it is. I don't know. I think a lot of religions have specific instructions and I think they're probably wrong because I think first of all they can't all be right <laughs> and anybody who says well my way my way is right is okay well how do you know but but it's pretty clear to me there's something out there right. and knowing that gives life meaning and uh, especially for teenagers who sometimes are sort of lost and what am I doing with this life and I'll tell them well you're going to be finding out what you're doing but this is how life works and there is meaning here and keep searching and sometimes they can search within themselves and their subconscious will tell them, yes, there's meaning. You need to find out what it is. You might consider these careers and it sort of gives them career guidance. Yes, because what they need is space to listen to themselves yep. and then space to develop what they already may know about themselves. But like you said, that negative self-talk maybe had been a barrier for them to move forward and maybe they're reluctant to share. Like, you share about your passions, you know, openly. This is something that I love. This is something that I'm working on two more books right now. <laughs> like you can really tell that your heart is in this work. The second so book, by the way, is for teenagers, directed teenagers. Oh, tapping into your subconscious, your how-to is for teenagers. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Love it. To empower teenagers. Because many times teenagers don't have anybody who tries to empower them. You have a lot of people tell them what to do, which can be disempowering. And so sometimes a teen will meet me and I'm the first person who says, hey, you can do this. And it's such an important message for a teenager. So when that book comes out, I'm getting that for my teenage son. He's 14. So I will be having that book on my shelf as well. So <laughs> just let you know. So what is like timeline looking like for you? Because you are so busy with your practice and now wanting to franchise and writing, plus playing volleyball and reading and all of the other things that you do with your family. Like tell talk about that balance and your and your timeline for future goals. Well, um, 
fortunately, my work is my passion. So, you know, you've heard this saying, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. That applies yeah. to me. This is not like talking to you right now is my passion. This is not work. So um, across my life, this is what I do. So uh, if I have a day off, I will be writing something. Oh, something. <laughs> because, you know, I'm acutely aware of how, you know, life is long, but it's also short. And I'm very aware that we, that life is a gift and we want to use it well. Um, I teach the kids, I say to you, to them, whenever you choose an activity, you might ask yourself, is this bring me closer to my goal of let's say being successful or contributing to the world? Does that move me, move it further away? If it moves you further away, don't engage in it. So like, we'll talk about um, uh, video game playing. So playing for an hour, cool. You know, rest your brain, you feel better. Playing for five hours, not cool. What have you gained? How has that brought you closer to your goal? If it doesn't bring you closer to your goal, it actually moves you further away. So that sort of clarifies. And so for my life, uh, that's how I look at things. Is this, is, is the activity I'm doing now, is that bringing me close to goal? Of, let's say bringing people to understand how important hypnosis is. And those how-to steps of, of possibly achieving that. So you mentioned volleyball. I love volleyball, but I haven't played in several years. I don't have the time. You know, like you talked about all the things I've done and I do, I have to make choices. So while volleyball is a very, a lot of fun for me, it doesn't bring me closer to the goal. I do work exercise and exercise is really important. And the way I work exercise into my life is I don't have a car and I walk a mile and a half to work every day. Oh, wow. I have to. So I structured my life doing that but while i do that I call, I call my family members so it's not just empty time yep yep excellent so quality time while practicing health practices for yourself excellent multitasking so, yes for good for, for good. closer to your goal by maintaining healthy relationships at the same time right and maintaining your physical health also really yes important. So famous last words from you, since you're good at one-liners, we're here near the end. So talk about some famous words of wisdom that you might like to impart on people that are out there that are listening to the show right now. Uh, I think I forget off the top of my head who said this, but it's uh, believe in yourself and all that you are. There's something uh, greater. There's something great inside you that, is, that can overcome any obstacle. I'm paraphrasing it. I think it was Niebuhr, I think, said that. But maybe might, I might be wrong who said that. But believe in yourself and all you are. There's something greater inside you than any obstacle would be Love what it. I would tell you. Love it. So thank you so much, Dr. Reem, for being with me today. Guys, you have to check out Changing Children's Lives with Hypnosis, A Journey to the Center. You can see all of my stickies. And I had other books, I kept pulling them out, cards, books of just places that I wanted to highlight today on the show, but there's so much more that we did not get to cover. And I didn't want to give away so many spoiler alerts because I want you to have an opportunity to take time to not only look at a book like this for your child and for parenting, but for yourself as well and for career and for practice. Because like I said, when I was reading I could see practical application even into the classroom and the educational world, you know, of how that we respect and honor one another as we move through maybe crisis or, or coping or, or dealing with the stressors of days. 
if you uh, want more information, you can also come check out my website, yes. uh, dranbar.com. So it's a D-R, A as an apple, N as an Nancy, B as in boy, A-R.com. There's a lot of information about hypnosis and the book and other links that you can check out. And I'm going to put that in the description so you guys can click on, click away. So thank you so much for being here with me today. And God bless everybody. I will see you guys later. Thank you so thank much you. for being here. Now that you found me on the Jen Lowry Writes podcast, I challenge you to head over to where books are sold and find me there. I've published 11 books so far, and I write clean books for all ages. Horror, paranormal, sweet romance, fantasy, historical fiction, you name it, I've got your genre. Search Jen Lowry at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Kobo, and more. And for my Bible devotionals, you'll see my full name, Dr. Jennifer Eichner Lowry on Amazon. So I challenge you today to go out there and write something inspiring and share it with the world. Thanks for joining me on Jen Lowry Writes. You guys have a blessed day.